Take a deep breath and let it out. You might not know it, but indoor air quality is a topic that affects all of us. At Renew Air, we're on a mission to educate listeners on indoor air quality and the factors that impact it. Welcome to Indoor Air Quality IQ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to IAQ IQ, Indoor Air Quality and You, a podcast from the experts at Renew Air. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the show today. Today, we're discussing how to create higher-performing multifamily homes, and today we have two subject matter experts on I'm thrilled to introduce you to. First, we have Gayathri Vijayakumar. She's the Principal Mechanical Engineer at Stephen Winter Associates. Gayathri, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Excellent. We are thrilled to have you on. And we also have Nick Agopian. He's the VP of Sales and Marketing at Renew Air. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining me once again. Thank you so much. Excellent. Well, uh, it's a pleasure having both of you on today as we talk about multifamily homes. Um, and we recently did a podcast that focused on single-family homes. But uh, Guy, what can you tell me about creating a healthy, high-performing multifamily home? Yeah, I listened to that podcast with Corbett and Grace, and I thought it was great. Um, I think a lot of the things they talked about that apply to single-family homes also apply to multifamily homes. But if folks you know, listening are trying to build a new construction multifamily building and they care about you know, building healthy, high-performing, I definitely recommend just following one of these building programs. There's a bunch of building programs out there that are specific to multifamily, uh, and they kind of run through prescriptive requirements on how to build healthy, how to build high performing. And so it's not rocket science, but it is building science. And they have teams of building scientists, researchers that go and, you know, develop requirements that they know are cost effective and will create positive impact, whether you care about, you know, um, sustainability for your building, water efficiency, energy efficiency, or indoor air quality like this podcast is talking about. Nick, is there anything you would, you would like to add when it comes to multifamily homes and, and any of the, maybe the history there or some of the uh, challenges associated with indoor air quality uh, regarding multifamily homes? Uh, any thoughts there? Absolutely. Today, we live in the whole food society. Uh, we're absolutely concerned about what we eat and, and uh, what goes into our mouths and then ultimately through our uh, digestion, which is a very, very highly advanced system within our bodies. Uh, what's not highly advanced within our bodies is what we breathe in and what ends up in our lungs. And while we eat about four pounds of food and drink about four pounds of, of water a day, we breathe in 31 pounds of air um, a day. Uh, so what happens is what goes through our noses and ends up in our lungs ultimately ends up into our bloodstream and goes all over the place. So people are concerned within the built environment, and that could be in commercial applications, institutional applications, of course, single family, and then ultimately within the multifamily uh, environment, which is more complex than single family homes. But what we breathe in becomes very, very important. And there are two motivations, both intrinsic and extrinsic motivations. The intrinsic motivation is, of course, for the, the buyers or the renters of these homes. Of course, they want to be able to be in a home that they consider is going to be healthy for them and then ultimately even healthy for their kids. Uh, conversely, extrinsically, builders and developers can get more dollars per square foot for a healthy home than an unhealthy home. And renters and buyers or the consumers today are cognizant of that and understand that because of the pandemic. The pandemic has taken the indoor air quality question, um, which is a very slow moving question and put it on steroids. I've 
basically put it onto our rocket ship and elevated it to the point where the whole globe now is cognizant to what happens within the built environment. So whether it's, it's health or whether it's safety, at the end of the day today, we are a lot more cognizant about it. And, uh, and there's been so much research that's been ongoing, not just because of COVID, but ongoing for the last 10, 20 years. And now it's being percolated up into the mainstream media. And I'm super excited to talk about that today. Guy, that's a question I wanted to ask you as well, is just the, the extent to which the pandemic has increased awareness and maybe the importance in people's minds of indoor air quality. Uh, what has been your sense as far as that's concerned? Well, I think in multifamily, so in a single family house, I live in a single family house, you know, I don't have to worry about anything coming through my walls, right? I have to worry about, you know, I've basically been working from home with my two kids here. So I don't have to worry about interacting with other people very often. In multifamily, I feel like because of the pandemic, people are more aware that it's not just that their air or the air coming from the outside that they need to be concerned about. It's air from their neighbors. If they walk out to the hallway, it's air in the corridor. They're going down the elevator. You know, there's shared. There's so many shared spaces in multifamily buildings that I think there's even more of a heightened awareness in multifamily because of the pandemic. That's an excellent point. That, uh, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. So uh, Stephen Winter Associates has been recognized by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency as a recipient of the 2020 Indoor Air Plus Leader Award. Tell us a little bit more about what uh, the Indoor Air Plus is and, and a little bit more about that award as well. Sure. So Indoor Air Plus. So be before I was saying that there's these building programs. So if you want to build a high performing, uh, healthy building, not all of us know all the science and the research behind doing that. And so there's a bunch of agencies and entities that create prescriptive checklist based programs that they put in the building science knowledge and they just give you a checklist of things that you can do. And so the EPA, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, has this Indoor Air Plus program, which is focused on indoor air quality in new construction buildings. So it's about improving uh, new construction practices. So they have requirements uh, related to construction to reduce how much moisture gets into the building because moisture leads to mold. Uh, they have a lot of requirements related to radon, uh, ventilation, dehumidification, filtration, all the things that when put together would improve the indoor air quality of a single family home or multifamily. So Indoor Air Plus is one of these kind of building pr programs that a, a construction team could follow and say, hey, you know, I've gone through all these steps. I've done this. It's all above code stuff. I'm creating a healthier multifamily building. And so to Nick's point, you know, a renter would see this Indoor Air Plus label on this building. So when they're choosing, you know, what apartment uh, to to rent for the next year, they could say, you know, I feel like this one has met the rigor of this Indoor Air Plus program, so I know the indoor air quality is going to be better. And so Indoor Air Plus is actually tethered to another EPA program. So EPA has another program called Energy Star. And so these are both free programs because they're developed by the government. So again, you could follow the list of prescriptive requirements from Energy Star and build a building that is energy efficient. I think uh, a lot of consumers know what Energy Star means. They see this little blue square like on their refrigerator or even their laptop. And they're like, oh, Energy Star, this, this is something. They recognize that that is energy efficient. And same for renters of multifamily buildings. You could actually now go find an apartment building that has that same blue Energy Star logo. And you could just walk in, not know anything about building science or how to build energy efficiency you know, buildings. But a renter could go in there and say, hey, it's got that blue logo. I know it's going to be more energy efficient. And so what Indoor Air Plus does is they said, you know, we care about energy efficiency first. 
So they actually require that a building be built to the Energy Star standard, and then they layer on indoor air quality requirements. So improvements in ventilation and filtration, like I said before. So you get both. You get a high-performing building because it's energy efficient, but then you also get a high-performing building in terms of indoor air quality. And so that's what the indoor air, indoor air Plus program is. I'd like to add that um, the additional design considerations that go into um, indoor air quality considerations um, is critical when it comes to multifamily applications. Um, because of the compartmentalization of all these different house or homes, um, we are concerned about what's happening in the studio or in the apartment right beside us. But over and above that, you've got parking garages, you've got elevator shafts, you've got garbage chutes. And if you don't design your systems correctly to specifically say, I need air to move in this direction so that you're not taking air going backwards from, as an example, a garbage chute that ends up into your hallways that ultimately may end up within your uh, uh, your studio suite. And, and then at the end of the day, there's clearly no way you can maintain indoor air quality. So when you see these stickers, there's a lot more that goes into the design aspect of that structure um, than typically not. So that program itself becomes very critical for these, once again, the people that own the buildings and then ultimately the people that end up using the buildings. And I, I think to each of your points, I think that given what we've all been through over the last year and a half now, that that understanding a little bit more of that and being more educated consumers, I, I, I think is something that we're going to see more and more of as people look around uh, at multifamily uh, type buildings and units and that sort of thing. I think more and more people are probably going to be looking for um, that sort of thing as people educate themselves on, okay, what's keeping me safe? I want to know more about indoor air quality. I feel like it's become a larger topic amongst the public, which then makes it a more important thing for, for building owners and operators to, to know about and to invest in. Has that been, Guy3, do you think that that is a trend that we'll see more of moving into the future? Definitely. So the Indoor Air Plus program uh, applies to single family and multifamily. So it'll take some time before we realize how many building owners have come and you know, finish buildings that meet that certification. Because you usually don't find out until they're fully constructed, which could be four years from now. But we do expect to see a lot of movement in this area because, like you said, renters are going to look for that. And if you just build things and you follow, you know, good design practice on your own without that recognition from a building program, whether it's Indoor Air Plus or LEED or Passive House, there's other very healthy focus building standards like FitWell. There's another one called Well. And I know nothing about those. I'm just shooting out random words. But we do actually have a podcast from Stephen Winter where, you know, my colleague talks a little bit more about that. It was it was done in June. But there are a lot of programs, and a lot of recognition. And so the problem is builders are going to have to not only do these things in their buildings, they're going to have to you know, get certified so they can have labels that demonstrate to the public that this building does meet the rigor of these standards. And I do feel like it's going to become more and more common um, as, as people, you know, as come out of the pandemic, a lot of people are moving, you know, the, the housing market is booming. And so, you know, a homeowner that can say, you know, my home is an indoor air plus home. Like, well, I mean, I have no stats on this, but I expect that that would probably draw a lot of attention and interest in their home. I think builders have no choice but to jump onto that bandwagon. Um, code is the absolute minimum that has to go into 
a design or into a or into the construction. Uh, what it means is that simply um, I've done what I have to do so I don't go to jail. That's what it means. Higher performing structures um, offer a differentiating value proposition um, for anybody. And if it's even a single family home, that homeowner now has something that the home right next to them doesn't have. And consumers are going to start demanding for for higher performing homes. Uh, I know we're talking about multifamily homes here, uh, but we're starting to look at actual dollar numbers for different classifications of buildings. As an example, in Europe, you've got different classifications of buildings. And that the different classifications basically say, this is minimum code, this is something with higher filtration, and this is something with higher filtration and higher ventilation. And uh, numbers that I've heard out there from, from different uh, groups is up to 38% more rent revenue per square foot based on a higher performing building. Um, and so you're talking about MRF 13 filtration. MRF 13 filtration, a 24 by 24 MRF 13 filter, you're talking about dollars. And then when you're talking about increasing outdoor air by double, you're in the range of about 10 to 30 or $40 per person per year but the actual cost of rent could be that much higher. So there is a financial benefit for owners, but then ultimately the intrinsic benefit of health. I mean, how much, how much is the value of health for an individual? Is it worth more than just $10 or $30 a year? And I would say so. So I agree, it's changing, it's changing rapidly. And if people don't jump onto that bandwagon, they're gonna be left behind because I don't think anybody wants minimum code anymore. People want a higher performing building. Wow. Yeah, I, I think you put that really, really well, Nick. Um, that, that's a great point. Uh, Guy3, I know you mentioned testing uh, a little bit earlier, but can you talk us through testing requirements and how the testing is, is actually performed on these buildings? Yeah, sure. Um, so the blower door test, if anyone listened to that episode with Corbett and Grace, um, it's the same test that they do in apartments as they do in a single family home. So there's a big giant fan that they put in the door of the apartment instead of the door of your, you know, the front door of your house. And so basically what it does, it's a giant fan. So it just sucks all the air out of your apartment. And when it does that, you could walk around the apartment and feel air gushing in from electrical outlets or, you know, around the window. A lot of the times you find it gushing in from your neighbor's apartment or from the corridor. And so what it shows is that this is where air, you know, these are air leakage points. And so we want to reduce that and we want to stop that. So that test quantifies what you can't really see. And so like Nick mentioned about the codes, the codes are the worst you should do, but the codes are evolving. And so we're trying to get the codes to require this test be done. And starting in the 2021 IECC, which is the International Energy Conservation Code, that test will be required for all new construction multifamily buildings, whether they're, you know, three stories or four stories, how, whatever height they are. At least people moving forward will know that all these buildings that meet that code will have been tested. They, they meet a, an okay metric, right? But we're going to hope to get that tighter and tighter as, you know, times go on. But getting it tested is kind of like the big hurdle. Um, but yeah, it's very similar to the single family test and it's basically testing what you can't see. I'd like to add something to that. Um, this blower door test is, is quite an interesting um, instrument. Um, something else I've learned about it uh, is that um, besides just feeling the air coming in, uh, we can measure whether that air is turbulent or whether that air is laminar as it's coming through. And, and the blower test 
using Bernoulli's equation can determine that turbulence or not. So what does that mean? Uh, if the air coming through the structure is laminar, means like it's a hairline crack where you can say, you know, I might as well just let that go. If it's turbulent, then where they're able to identify to say there's something that's that's open. There's something that's physically open, like like literally a, 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 maybe somebody put a hole for a pipe that they didn't end up using. Um, so the blower door test is, is, is something that I would recommend whether an individual has a new building or even um, a retrofit. Would you not say that? Would you not agree? On a retrofit? Definitely. You definitely want to know how tight your home or your apartment is so you can quantify how much you've improved it. Um, so definitely uh, agree with that. So one of the things we, we talk a lot about on IAQ, IQ uh, indoor air quality and you is, is talking about ventilation and energy costs. So, uh, can you share with us a little bit more about ventilation and energy costs and, and maybe any of the particular challenges that are presented by multifamily homes, uh, in this particular area? Well, I'll talk about like maybe the ventilation systems that we see in multifamily, and then I'll kind of punt it to Nick to talk about some of the, the costs associated with it. But basically, you know, kind of, as I mentioned, you know, these building programs that want, you know, to improve your indoor air quality, ventilation costs money, right? To, to do no ventilation, you say, you know, you don't spend any electricity to run your bath fan or your kitchen fan. So ventilation definitely costs money. Um, if you just use your bathroom exhaust fan, that's probably the least amount of electricity to get some kind of ventilation in your home. And so like programs like Energy Star recognize that you need to use some electricity to run these ventilation systems. And that's okay. We want to make them as energy efficient as possible. And then you want to, you know, increase the ventilation rates, like Nick mentioned, so that you get more air exchange in the home, get the pollutants out of the home. Um, so in multifamily, you know, the different systems you'll see, again, bathroom exhaust fan, kitchen exhaust fan. Uh, sometimes we'll see a corridor supply system. And so what's happening in those corridor supply systems, a lot of multifamily builders will pressurize their corridors, meaning they're just going to dump all the outdoor air into the corridor and they are going to cross their fingers that that air is going to make it into the apartment. And so I don't know anyone who lives in a multifamily building that walks out into the hallway and says, gosh, it smells really fresh out here. It feels like I'm in the outdoors, right? Like that outdoor air gets commingled with other air. It's not going to stay fresh. So anyone who's looking at ventilation systems for multifamily, you really, if you're going to deliver air and you want it to go to the apartment, you really should deliver it into the apartment. So any of the, any builders that are air listening, you know, the ventilation system that makes sense in multifamily, you could do balance like energy recovery, central, it could be a central system that serves all your apartments. It could be just be a in-unit system that, you know, just serves that one apartment. It could be just your bath exhaust fan. Maybe this is kind of your first foray into doing, you know, ventilation. You always have a bathroom exhaust fan. You've always had a kitchen exhaust fan. Maybe that kitchen exhaust fan's a recirc. You know, we see a lot of just recirculating range hoods. I would definitely advise against doing just recirc. Make sure that recirculating range hood is configured to vent to the outdoors. Get it vented out sidewall. Um, if you can vent it to a central risers, a lot of these big sky rises can't do a vented sidewall exhaust fan. So they vent to a riser. But just make sure there's kitchen exhaust, there's bathroom exhaust. I think in that last episode with Corbett and Grace, they're talking about the bathroom exhaust, and it definitely is there for moisture. So upgrade your bathroom exhaust fan, at least so that it's occupancy sensor or humidity sensing, meaning, you know, if somebody turns it on because they're in there to take a shower, make sure it stays on and either until humidity has dropped to a certain level or until, you know, just like 20 or 30 minutes. Some of those are just based on just like a standard clock. 
because I think you were saying, you know, you have foggy mirrors. You have this bathroom and your mirror is foggy. Well, guess what? Your mirror is foggy because literally water has condensed on your mirror. So look at your walls next time because that water is condensing on your walls. You just can't see it. And so where there's water, there's moisture. Where there's moisture, there's going to be mold. So those are kind of like the ventilation system. So anyone who's renting, anyone who's listening that's going to be renting an apartment, when you rent an apartment, when you're checking them out, open, you know, go in the bathroom, turn on the fan. You can see if it's working. Just take a tissue paper, like just grab a piece of the tissue paper that's sitting right there, put it up to the fan and see if it actually holds that piece of paper up. Then you'll know at least the bathroom exhaust fan is drawing enough air. Sometimes they just make a lot of noise and actually don't remove any air from the bathroom. So those would be kind of like the ventilation systems, pitfalls and do's and don'ts that I would recommend in multifamily. But I, I think Nick probably has something more to say about the costs and, and ERVs and things like that. Absolutely. When we talk about ventilation, <clears throat> we're talking about taking air from the outside, bringing it in, um, and if you're talking a bathroom exhaust fan, then you're taking that outside air, bringing it through, flushing different areas of your space, and then ultimately into your bathroom and then out your exhaust fan. Hopefully, it's not just a noisemaker, but actually makes its way outside. So at that point, you are removing any kind of contaminants you have within the space, whether that contaminant is because of something that's internally generated, whether it's an activity with your children, uh, whether it's 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 your cooking, and, and I highly, highly recommend that, yes, your kitchen exhaust fans must be operational and they shouldn't be recirculating. However, that air comes from the outside, goes through your space, ends up in your bathroom, picks up any potential humidity like we were talking about, and then throws it out. Well, when that air comes in from the outside, because ventilation requires outside air, it has to be outside of your actual compartment or your space or your home. That air in Wisconsin, where I'm at, or in Connecticut, tends to be a little bit cold in January and February. It being cold means that it has to be heated up somehow or another, which means that it comes into contact with your already heated space. Uh, it cools down that space. Your thermostat says it's cooled down. It turns on your heating system, and it heats up that space, and it just keeps, it becomes a circular type event. So when you're heating up that air, it costs you money. Now, conversely, if you're in the middle of Miami in July, you're bringing in very hot and humid air, and you have to cool that air down as it mixes with green space. No matter what you do, there is a cost associated to that. It's going to cost you money in order to be able to maintain your space conditions so that you're comfortable. Um, something that's being discussed within standards groups, and some codes have already adopted this, like in Minnesota, where they require balanced ventilation. So what does that mean? Um, as compared to just an exhaust fan where the air can come through the bottom of your door, a, a cracked uh, window, or some interface point that is, isn't sealed well, but somehow or another that air comes through, which is what we call uncontrolled ventilation. Balanced ventilation, whether it's using an ERV or not, basically states that you're going to take one cubic foot of your stale indoor air or your contaminated indoor air or your very humid indoor air because of that hot shower and throws it out and then takes air from the outside, mechanically takes air from the outside and pushes it in to replace that cubic foot that you just throw it out. So that works and that positive displacement 
assures that you're going to get the ventilation effectiveness, and that's the operative word, effectiveness, that you need in order to move the contaminated air out of your space. But that's still going to cost you money because that air now has to mix with your return air or your supplier from your central air handling system, and that still has to be heated in the middle of winter and cooled in the middle of summer. There are technologies out there, and it's really interesting. It's really, really interesting that if you take the Middle East or you take almost all of Europe, in fact, all of Europe, and even you take our friends up north, it's mandated by code that every, every built environment space requires an energy recovery unit. Why is that critical? Because you're able to take now that air that you've already spent money on, whether you've heated it, cooled it, humidified it, dehumidified it, whatever that you've done has energy. So you can recapture that energy and temper that one cubic foot that, you that you're going to bring in from the one cubic foot that you just exhausted and temper that air so that your central HVAC system isn't working as hard. So you save money. Now, depending on your application um, and depending on, on the features that, and, and type of equipment you put in, it could be as little as two years or it could be as much as five years. In some residential applications, it could be as much as five-year payback uh, for the equipment that you put in. But when you consider that these homes are going to operate for 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, I see homes that are 50 years old. Well, after that five years, it no longer costs you money. So if you can get through that five-year period, from that point on, you're technically getting as much as possible free ventilation and not costing you as much. So balanced ventilation, it becomes critical. And energy recovery as part of that becomes very critical as well. I'd like to add on to that. So that balanced ventilation, so you can see where this kind of overlaps. There's energy codes, like Nick mentioned, that have kind of realized that if you don't recover the heat in that exhaust air, you're just wasting money. And so all these energy codes that all builders have to meet have realized this. And as you know, people, as states adopt these newer codes, they're going to have to do what you said, like energy recovery or heat recovery. And so on the indoor air quality side, if you only care about indoor air quality, so that indoor air plus program, uh, they're releasing a new version of their program, and they have also kind of made a similar conclusion that you have to have balanced ventilation. You have to pull in as much air from outside, directly from the outside, not from my corridor, not from my neighbor. I need to actually get it from the outside and bring it right into the apartment. And I also need to exhaust that same amount of air. And so this Indoor Air Plus program has that as one of its prescriptive requirements. The, the building science has said, this is how you get good indoor air quality. You need to bring air from outside, take air from inside and exhaust it directly to the outdoors. They don't go so far as requiring energy recovery, only because that becomes an energy efficiency concern, right? So the Indoor Air Plus program wants basic energy efficiency and they require Energy Star. And then for Indoor Air Plus, they say, we do want balance. It's your choice. If you do care about energy efficiency and you want a really super high performing building or your code requires, you could do a balance system like an ERV or HRV, or you can just do you know, a balanced system, bring in air, exhaust air, keep them the same flows. So guys, uh, when it comes to, um, you know, talking about how to improve multifamily homes, what are three to five design changes that, that a multifamily builder should maybe adopt when trying to improve the indoor air quality of the apartments that they build? Uh, do you have any suggestions or changes maybe that they should make? 
Sure. I would say, you know, if you're not ready to go full in on these programs, like these building programs have lots of requirements, definitely more than three to five. So if you just want to take a look at them, you could pick anything from there and you would have made progress that's above code. You could pick any of their checklists, start picking, you know, one or two things, improving your walls, improving your filtration, things like that. Do the MRF 13, like Nick mentioned. Um, because I am a mechanical engineer, you know, the things that I think about are ventilation related. And so like the bathroom exhaust fan, definitely make sure that you upgrade your bathroom exhaust fan to one that has that humidity sensor or occupancy sensor. That's a no brainer. Definitely do that. Um, the kitchen, the kitchen exhaust, again, if it's got to be intermittent, not research, it's got to vent to the outdoors. If you vent it to a riser, what we see very often is that they vent it to a riser. And so there's a central rooftop fan. And so what's convenient and easy is to just run those fans on the roof continuously. And so they'll run like a low speed. And so there's constantly airflow coming out of the kitchen, which is awesome. You know, I personally don't run my range hood in my own house because it's a research and there's no way for me to duct it out of the wall. And so I am guilty of not running my range hood, but because I know it doesn't do anything because it's research. So my only solution was actually to put in an induction stove, right? I got rid of my gas stove. I it, it was better for the health to not have a gas stove. I went to induction and that'd be the next suggestion to these multifamily builders. Definitely get your kitchen exhaust out to the risers, run it intermittently if you can, run it continuously in the background. So when the tenant turns on the fan, it turns on, but it has like a low continuous rate of air. You know, that way you can't trust your renters to always turn it on. So at least you have a continuous movement of air out of the kitchen. And then when they're cooking, hopefully they'll be, you know, They'll, they'll learn that they need to start turning those on and then switch to electric stoves. I, it doesn't have to be induction. Induction is slightly more expensive, but even like an electric glass cooktop, you're going to get 90% of the health benefits from switching from gas to electric. And then I think the final thing is definitely that pressurized corridor system that I was talking about before. If you're going to take the time to pressurize your corridors, take the time to design a jump duct from that main corridor supply trunk into each dwelling unit. Don't cross your fingers that the air is going to just miraculously find its way through a door undercut or through holes in the wall into the apartment. Nobody wants, especially with the pandemic, nobody wants air from the corridor to be pushed into their apartment knowing who was just recently in the corridor. You know, that pure filtered outdoor air that came through that rooftop system ducked it directly into the dwelling unit. That way the, the residents in that apartment actually have that, that air. And then finally is the testing. If you guys haven't tested your apartments yet for leakage, the codes are coming. The codes are going to make you test soon enough. If your state hasn't adopted the 2021 ICC, but it's going to soon, that test is very new for most multifamily builders. And so you should get a few of your apartments tested now while so you can identify where you went wrong. Um, we had that requirement in the Energy Star program since 2005. So 16 years ago, the test requirement that is only now coming into the 2021 energy code, 16 years of it has been out there. And people failed it all the time on their first try. People that have done Energy Star for a long time pass it with flying colors now, but there's always one or two apartments that they have to work really hard at. So better to be prepared now rather than getting caught you know, on the back end, failing tests and not getting your CO when you're trying to close your building. I'd like to add um, something to that, <laughs> maybe one or two points. Um, as we mentioned earlier, codes are minimum. Nothing says that you can't do better than that uh, to improve the indoor environment. 
you know, uh, if you're sealing to a certain level, can you seal a little better? Yes. Uh, if you have to bring in X amount of CFM per space, um, nothing says that you can't go a little bit more. When you take a look at some of these higher performing standards, like the Well Building Institute, um, if you increase the amount of outdoor air as prescribed by code by 30%, you get one point. If you increase it by 60%, you get two well points. If you can guarantee that CO2, carbon dioxide concentrations, are below 600 ppm, you get three well points. But in order to do that, you need to almost double the amount of outdoor air within your space. So increasing the amount of air becomes paramount if you want a better environment. And one of the reasons why I do recommend sometimes increasing the amount of outdoor air into the space is that if we were to compare ourselves to other First Nations, uh, particularly around Europe, the United States standards are amongst the lowest compared to everywhere else when it comes to outdoor air in residential applications. The people that are close to us are people like in Italy with Italian standards. And then when we take a look at the problems associated to the SARS virus and COVID-19, you kind of question whether there's some kind of correlation or coincidence that outdoor air ventilation rates are similar to areas that had very, very high infection rates for whatever that's worth. But the point is, is that increasing the amount of outdoor air rationalized because it does cost you money and energy, rationalized with energy recovery ventilation makes sense. And I'd like to tell you a little story that I had with um, uh, a conference, a, a, a talk I gave over in New York City for their passive house, uh, I guess, community. Uh, one of the engineers got up and asked me a question at the end and said, I have a developer who wants me to triple, triple the amount of outdoor air into each one of their condos. And he thought that was absolutely crazy. And what can they do? So, of course, I'm going to recommend energy conservation. And I agreed with them. And then I asked him, I said, why does this developer want to increase by three times? And his response to me was because he wanted a differentiating value proposition as compared to the builder that's right beside him and selling their condos, their 500, 700 square foot condos for two and a half million dollars. They needed something. And that was, that was one way of doing it. Um, and then when it comes to, I, I just want to reinforce what was said about kitchen exhaust. I can't be, begin to tell you the criticality behind that. I was over at a friend's house and, um, she was showing off her $20,000 wolf range hoods and you know I, I don't know if i should be using brand names here but it, it, it was very you know a gas range hood uh, or a, a range and uh, she, she was making pasta and her husband picked up a spoon and tasted the sauce and then put the saucy spoon onto her probably twenty thousand dollar granite countertop and she absolutely freaked out so she took out an ammonia based cleaning product and sprayed it to clean the countertop and i just and she didn't have her hood on and I just looked at it and I said, do you realize you just cleaned your countertop using an ammonia-based product and you're burning ammonia because you've got an open flame and you're spraying this ammonia product onto your open flame. And, and you don't realize that sometimes there's a lot that's going on that you can't smell, see, or touch, but has such a negative impact, whether it's a, it's a nuisance or whether it's a health-related issue that's occurring within your home. 
all of these things are reacting within your home and the and and the best way to control that at the absolute minimum level is to ventilate with balanced ventilation i think those are uh, some fantastic recommendations and i have some homework tonight i need to go home and test my bathroom vent fan so uh you know uh with with Guyther's method so uh so i have some work to do um and i'm i'm hoping that everyone else uh, learned a lot on this episode as well uh, because I think that uh, you've both provided a, a ton of fantastic information, and uh, this has been incredibly informative. So, Guy3, uh, listeners and viewers of the podcast know Nick really well and know a lot about Renewair, but tell us a little bit more about Stephen Winter Associates, uh, the work that you do, and where people can find out more information about you. Sure. So, Stephen Winter Associates, we're coming up on our 50th anniversary. So, Stephen Winter founded this company almost 50 years ago. It's a building science firm. Uh Presently, we're probably around 100, 120 people strong uh, from D.C., New York, and Connecticut. Um, so, yeah, it's building science, accessibility, sustainability, health. You know, we do anything and everything to help building designers, architects, developers build high-performing buildings. So passive house, lead, all those certifications people want. If they're benchmarking, we do a lot of existing buildings. Um, so our website is just swinter.com. And we actually had uh, a couple uh, podcasts as well about ventilation. So I think we've all drank the Kool-Aid about the kitchen exhaust. So there's some cool uh, podcasts and blog posts on our website about that. Um, yeah, and it's been great. I've been there for 16 years and it's the only place I've ever wanted to work and we're hiring. So can I plug that? Yes. Yes. Guy three and, uh, Nick, thank you so much for joining us here on this, uh, on this episode of IAQ IQ and, uh, sharing a little bit more about multifamily homes and, uh, and the challenges there and some of the things that can be done, uh, to help improve the indoor air quality in these units. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us here on the show. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks, Tyler. Absolutely. And everyone, thank you for joining us for another episode of IAQ IQ. It's been a pleasure having you along with us. Of course, make sure to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest insights from Renew Air. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts these days, you can find the podcast on there. So give it a search. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with the latest. And of course, you can also visit the Renew Air website for more. So stay tuned for upcoming episodes of the podcast. We'll be back shortly with new episodes. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for joining us. Oh,